Welcome to For the Love of Dharma. I'm so happy you're here. My name is Heather Love, and I'm one of the first certified Dharma coaches in the world. This podcast will help you be more joyful, remember your purpose, and live life on your terms. Get ready to get inspired. Here we go. Hey friends, I hope you're having a great week so far. We are back into the swing of things here in my house with school and activities. And while there's something to be said for having a schedule, I also kind of miss the slow mornings of summer. I hope that whatever your days look like, that they are amazing and filled with wonder. I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest. Leslie Potter is a coach, psychotherapist, and spiritual inquirer that became a mom for the first time when she was 44 years old when she adopted her daughter from China. She encourages people to become who they always wanted to be as a parent through her Pure Joy Parent Coach Training, and we are lucky enough to have her joining us here today to share some insights on just how to do that. She is the host of a podcast called Parenting Paused, and I have everything linked for you in the show notes. Whether you are a parent, grandparent, step-parent, want-to-be parent, aunt, uncle, whatever, it doesn't matter. You will be inspired by today's episode while Leslie offers plenty of tools to support you in uncovering your intuition to parent the way you desire instead of listening to the way others tell you to do it. I'm so excited to dive in. Without further ado, let's welcome Leslie to the show. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thank you for inviting me to your space. You're so welcome. I'm so (laughs) excited to talk to you about parenting. And I have kind of been on my own journey with parenting. I have two daughters, they're 15 and 11. And, you know, I have seen my own evolution of how I started of being a brand new mom to how I interact with my kids now. So I'm excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, it's quite an evolution. That's a great word. (laughs) So I'd love to have my guests pick either red or blue, and I have a red book and a blue book, and I will select a random question from whichever book you choose. Great. I'll choose red. As you can see, I like my bright colors. (laughs) Red matches your shirt. It's beautiful. Yeah. What have you read online recently that has inspired you? Mm, ooh, that's a really good one. Gosh, I read so much. And I'm trying to think. Um, one of my teachers that I really love is Ajishanti. He is a spiritual teacher. And he was just writing, you know, I love his little quick things on Facebook. And he was just writing a piece about how um, how we get so confused in our mind. Like that's what we're trying to get rid of. And the whole piece was again about, you know, welcoming the mind, just not identifying with it. So he was talking about the difference between identification and and disassociation. And so disassociation would be where you just like try to forget something, but disidentifying with is seeing the mind, but just not identifying that it's who you are. Oh, I love that. Very inspiring. (laughs) Amazing. So I would love for you to tell us what was Leslie like as a young child? What was your personality like? You're very bubbly and bright. Were you always this way? Well, it's so funny because as a child, my mother says that we would go off and we lived by the reservoir in Mississippi. And all of a sudden she'd look around, she had other three kids and I would be gone. 
And she would be like, where is Leslie? She would like start to freak out. And she would always find me down by the fisherman. And I'd be down there with them and I'd be talking. And I'd be saying, let me see what you got on your fishing pole. I mean, I was like four or something. <laughs> <laughs> so she said she could always find me down just hanging out with the fishermen and talking. So yes, <laughs> I came in and my nickname was Smiley in high school, even though it was very tragic at home. It didn't matter. My personality has always been quite bubbly and playful <laughs> as That's a kid. A beautiful way to be. <laughs> Do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Absolutely. I wanted to be a famous movie star. I wanted to be Fanny Bryce on Broadway. And I, I hear that they're just bringing Funny Girl back. So uh. Funny Girl is Fanny Bryce. Was, uh, it's her story. Yeah. And I knew from the time I was little, the first time I got on stage was when I was six years old. And I sing all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth <laughs> in my red velvet dress. It's an amazing song. You were wearing red even back then. <laughs> I was. And I was singing my little heart out. And uh, the minute I got that, that energy from the audience and got to see that that was a way I could touch people was by bringing my gifts to the world, even at six. Do you so, still sing? I do don't actually sing that much, but I still perform in my work, <laughs> as you will see today. I'm more of an actress, but I did go to New York, and I was on Off-Broadway and traveled Europe, and so I actually lived that dream, and then my deeper work, my deeper calling brought me into what I'm doing now, but I still use all that talent and that gift. Oh, that's amazing. I love to ask that question to my guests because it's so interesting to see how their journey has come along and what they wanted to be when they were, they were little versus where they've ended up and how they've gotten here. So I love yes. that for you because that is <laughs> really exciting and amazing. And there's so many people that would love to have that. Yeah. I'm one of those people that when I have a vision of what I want to do, I go for it. So I did very young, even leaving Mississippi, which was really challenging moving to New York City. But I don't have a lot of fear of trying new things. So it was always just like, oh boy, what do we get to do now? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So many people let fear hold them back from trying anything new. And I always say there's no growth can come from your comfort zone and you have to step out of that in order to be able to grow and do something new. So it's amazing that you don't have a lot of fear. I love that so much. Well, I think I have fear, but it's just, I don't know. My, we were talking earlier about my heart when I can contact my heart, my head has fear, but for some reason, my heart has a stronger drive in me than my head. Cause as you know, I adopted my daughter at 44 years old from China as a single mom. <laughs> so again, I have all these stories of things that you would never think someone would do. And my heart, when it gets in charge, and when I listen to it, it, it leads the way. Would you say you think that is your intuition or is there some other part of just following your heart that gets connected to? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, in my work with parents, I work a lot with desires and as children, we had so many desires and we had so much resistance. We were told we were selfish and we were demanding and we were rude. And But desire is what changes the world for me. I mean, it's like when you have this, because it's usually from the heart and it may get caught on candy and then the parent thinks you just want candy, but it's not the candy. It's the desire for sweetness. You know, if candy takes sweet, you want the sweetness. And so I think in our culture, we get really caught on thinking that desires are negative 
that they're bad, especially in children. As I say, they're demanding, they're rude, selfish. And it's like, no, it's like, so somehow I'm able to contact that desire. And before the mind gets a hold of it, even though it does, the desire is so strong when I have one that when I can ride the desire energy versus the um, repression of it, then I end up in wild, crazy places. I just ended up in Lithuania. They invited me to come over. Yeah, they invited me. They saw my website and they invited me to come to a festival. And it's like, my head was like, you can't fly to, you don't need to fly to Lithuania. My heart was just like, we're going. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you do in those instances, right? Where you have your head versus heart and your heart is telling you one thing and your mind is telling you something else. What do you do to get them to sort of come to an agreement? (laughs) Well, I listen to both because I've learned, you know, the heart can also get me into pickles sometimes, right? So I've learned, uh, we could talk about it here. I have a process that I teach parents and it's called the safe seat process. And it's a process, well, I actually have one deeper called the sacred seat. And the sacred seat is where I go and I listen. So I listen to, you know, if I have it like that, oh, I really want to go to Lithuania. It sounds really fun. And, oh my God, we're going to go. We're going to be in the forest. And we're going to do all this. My heart is just like, boom, 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 boom. And then my head gets to come in and it goes, well, you know, hey, actually you need to work and this is going to happen and you got to get your house taken care of and all this. And so it's like, I don't try to negate either one. I try to listen and then they tend to start having the conversation. So it doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be my head or my heart. But I have many years on me now. So I think I learned to integrate. But the first voice I do my best to listen to is the heart. Because that's the desire. And then I'll run that through my beautiful mind that I have lots of years of experience on a practical level. <laughs> so practically, I had to go there and have jet lag and get a plane and do all of that. So I listen to my head now, but I don't let my head go, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you don't <laughs> let it run the show, right? You you listen to the heart and the mind. I think that's yeah. really beautiful. One thing I've noticed for myself is that my heart tends to speak quieter, mm-hmm. but it's persistent. When I really feel mm-hmm. something strongly, <laughs> no matter what my brain is saying, you know, you can't do that. You shouldn't, whatever, you know, all the negative things. It can be hard to get that skill to be able to yeah. make sure you're really honing into what your heart is saying, because it is kind of quiet. It does speak in whispers a little bit. Well, I find it kind of bizarre. I have a parent coach training. So people come to my training and they're always worried about money and their heads and time and this and the other. And I question them. It's like, why would we ever think our heart wouldn't support us? Like, where did we get that message that the heart was foolish or the heart was just whatever? And it's like, well, wouldn't the heart, wouldn't you think that the heart would support you if you followed it? Because we see it with our children all the time, but we start teaching them very, very early that not to trust their hearts. Like you say, and so the heart gets quiet. It doesn't go away, but it gets protected or it gets all these layers get over it. And so then we have to listen, you know, through the layers to get back to the true desire and the early desire, which is to be happy. I mean, that's the biggest desire is to love life and be happy. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. When you even observe kids, little kids, they're so curious and happy and just inquisitive and they don't have all the crap that we put on them as adults. 
and you know, as they get older, they start to learn that. So then when you become an adult, you have to kind of try to rewind it all and yeah, figure it all out. So that is interesting if you just observe young children well, to be able to see. Well, I'll give you one point that I work with parents around. It's like, so let's say you've got a, a young one and they're starting to crawl and they're going towards something and they look back at you. They aren't actually looking back to you for permission. They're looking back to you for support to go toward what they desire. Right. When we as parents think they're looking to us for permission and we don't want them to do that because they're going toward the electrical socket or whatever, Mm -hmm. we say no, no, or the candy or whatever. No, no, no. So we make it all about us instead of, oh, of course I want to support my child's desire and I need to go over there with them because the electrical plug is dangerous. You know, I can make sure that he goes towards something that is not dangerous for him. But we sit in this position where we always think our children are coming to us. I had a young woman, and uh, I mean, a mom and her daughter, I think she was like 13 or something. She says, why does she keep coming and asking me if she can do something? And I say, no, and she does it anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, well, clearly she's not coming to you and asking for permission because she does it anyway. What if you saw her as coming to you to ask for support? Like, mom, I'm ready to do this. Do you think I'm ready? Mom, how can you support me in my readiness versus mom's not ready, but that's all about mom. So I think very early our desires, the parent, like, because we were trained that way, I did it too, you know, to think they're asking us. So what if you saw, I'm going to offer to everybody here, they're listening. What if the next time your child asks you for something, no matter how little they are, or how big they are, if they weren't asking you for permission? They were asking you for reflection to see that, oh, it looks like you're ready. Tell me more about that. And that doesn't mean as a parent, you have to be ready for them to go to that party. (laughs) You can separate that out. But if you can go, oh, wow, why do you want to go? Have you thought about this? And what if this happens? And then you can get excited with them versus, nope, you're not ready. Yeah, that's a great point. I think a lot of times we don't give our kids enough credit for having really mature thoughts and they really do. And they think through things, at least today's kids, I think are so much more mature than even I was when I was that age. And so I love that reflection. They're not really looking for permission. They're looking for you to support them. Yeah. Well, I wanted my daughter to know herself, not to know me. And I used to work with at-risk teens and they, they do exactly what their parents wanted them to do. They knew what their parents wanted, but I would say, well, what do you want? What's your desires? And they couldn't find them or they were scared to share them Uh because they might be, especially if they were against the parents, but like they'd say like, oh, I have a desire, but I can't do that. I've got to go to college or I've got to do this or I've got to do what my parents want me to do. So how much impact do you think our own upbringing has <laughs> on how we raise our children? It's so funny you ask that because I just read an article about this, about how profound our upbringing, how profoundly it affects how we parent. And often what I see happening, and this happened for me too, I was so determined not to be my mother that I went totally to the other side, which was actually being my mother, (laughs) because I still wasn't parenting my child. I was parenting my child as if she were me as a child. I was giving her everything that I didn't get, right? So it profoundly affected me. And then every time I would get stressed, 
then my mother's voice would come through because I had that parenting template, right? So even though I was pretending like I was this conscious parent, I wasn't actually a conscious parent. I was over parenting my daughter and parenting her as if she was living with an alcoholic mother. <laughs> and one day a friend looked at me, she goes, she doesn't live with your mother. She lives with you. How about you start parenting your child and listening to her? So I think it's very profound and you're going to get to see how profound it is, especially when you get activated um, on an emotional level and trigger with your children. And then you most likely will go back to that early template because why wouldn't you? That's all you know. Yeah. So what can we do as parents if we notice, oh my God, I'm turning (laughs) into my mother. And, you know, I think the first step is noticing, right? And being aware. Once you've become aware, then how do you fix it? Well, there's no fixing because we're not broken. So I don't believe in fixing, but I do believe as soon as we bring awareness to it, like when I did, when my friend said that, it was like, whoa, I was able to come back in and say, okay, what am I not willing to resolve in my childhood? What am I still running from? What am I still not working with in my childhood? And I'm trying to compensate and pretend like it didn't happen in a way by doing the other side. So for me, what happened was I began to go back into my childhood and find the benefits of growing up with a raging alcoholic mother. There were tremendous, I wouldn't be sitting here today if I hadn't had that. Of course, I wouldn't want that for my daughter or anybody, but it was reality. That's what I lived in. So I was only on one side. I was fixated on all the negative. So of course, I had to do the other side. So I had to go back in and mine what I did get from my mother. I had to finally stand in gratitude to my mother for, in a way, taking on that role this life so that I could grow. You talk about challenge. I was highly challenged as a child, but it it made me want to know about the psyche. It made me want to know about people. It made me not want to drink, you know, all of these things that came out of having that as my reality. So the first thing I say to people is, you know, and again, if they want to go to my website, I have a safe seat process that I created and it walks you through how to do that. So the first thing is to honor that you were uh, raised by your parents, that you do have a parenting template and it's not all bad. (laughs) So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Go back in, find some time to be with yourself and to actually see, well, that was the reality. What did I get? Because we all know what we didn't get. Everybody can tell you what they didn't get as a child. Okay, that's clear. But really turn back in and say, well, even having a raging mom, what, what was the benefit of that? I learned to stand up. I mean, I was feisty with my mom, right? I probably never would have gotten that skill set without that. <laughs> did I want a raging mom? No, but I had one. So the benefit was is that I learned how to stand up for myself. Not back down. That is such an amazing way to look at it because I think that we can very much get stuck in the, I wish I would have had this and I didn't have this and my friends had this and I didn't. And when you can flip it and say, okay, great, but look at all of the things you did have and all of the amazing qualities you now have because of your upbringing. Exactly. And then the problem with parenting, then I didn't have this, I'm going to give it to my daughter. And I didn't have this, so I'm going to make sure my daughter never has it. And I'm going to do that. And that was not parenting to my child. That was parenting me. I mean, I projected onto her that she was me. And I was going to give her everything that I can get. 
And she felt totally engulfed. And it was just like, get away. You know, hello, I'm a person over here. You might want to see me. <laughs> and that was really painful for me because I felt rejected and abandoned because I just so wanted to love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I do think whether it's parents or any relationship, really, you make what happens a story about you. And so I think that there's a lot to be said for when your kids do or do not do something that you don't then make it about yourself. Yeah, I work in pure joy. Our our work is based a lot in healthy separation because in conscious parenting, everybody's like, connect, connect, connect. Well, that usually means engulf, engulf, engulf. That's how my daughter experienced it. So until I could get the healthy separation, which was to say, I'm going to stay in my lane. This is my childhood. This is her childhood. Then once I got the healthy separation and attended, gave myself what I what I didn't get. And instead of giving it to her, I started giving it to me. Then I had enough healthy separation to look and go, oh, this is a child that is actually has an environment where her needs are met. And this is a child that has an environment where she can express her needs and her desires. So my parenting really shifted when I started parenting to the child I was living with versus trying to parent myself through her. Do you think it's possible to have too much connection with your Absolutely. child? It's dangerous. <laughs> my, my, I, I talk about uh, one of my titles is how too much uh, connection can backfire. And it did on me because I was so overly connected with her. Like I'll give you an example. My daughter would say, you know, I think I might want to try embroidery. You do? What color thread do you want? Let's go to the fabric store right now. Let's get you some thread. Let's go do it. I get you lessons. Let's do that. And she would just be like, (laughs) because I was so, that was the way I was trying to connect was to make sure all her dreams came true and anything that she wanted, I was there because that didn't happen for me. I was all alone. No one said that. I had to make it happen. So I was compensating on the other side. And so my daughter finally wouldn't tell me stuff. She wouldn't share her desires or what she wanted to do because she knew I would take them over. But I saw that as I was just trying to connect. (laughs) Oh, I see. I see. So that kind of leads to my next question about saying no and having boundaries versus control. And what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) I have have lots of thoughts, Heather. That's what one of my gifts that my mother gave me is I, I dive really deep. So when I read that all the books about health boundaries, it was like, you know, children need limits and boundaries. And I was just like, now, wait a minute. I'm not parenting all children to begin with. I'm parenting my daughter. So I'm not going to put that. And then I started going, well, actually, it's not about her needing limits and boundaries. It's about me needing healthy personal boundaries. And I didn't want to set healthy personal boundaries because I felt selfish. I felt abandoning. I felt rejecting of her. So instead, I wanted to bind her. I wanted to tell her what she could do or what she couldn't do. And so in pure joy, our definition of boundaries is what's okay with me and what's not okay with me about how I treat myself, not about how the other treats me. So I started learning that I was treating myself as if I were a servant. My daughter wasn't. She was just taking everything I gave her. We all get this, you know, like, I think I'm your servant. (laughs) She was just asking for what she wanted. 
Right. And I was treating myself as a servant and then blaming her. Like, you need to stop asking. And you need to treat me with respect and all that. But I was the one that was actually not setting the healthy boundary. Well, of course you want me to make you mac and cheese at 10 o'clock at night. Of course you do. You know that. And tonight I'm going to stay in bed and read my book. And there's food downstairs. You can get it. That's very different than saying, how dare you ask me for mac and cheese at 10 o'clock at night? You know that that's not okay because you need to take care of me basically because you need to make sure that I get rest. So I really flip it for parents. It's like I never have to say no because I always want to offer my daughter something. I always have something. So I'll give you an example. She's in Japan and she just wrote me and she, you know, is having a budget because she made all the money to go there and all. <laughs> she writes me this great text and she goes, Mom, would you be willing to pay for a tattoo? And then she went, maybe. <laughs> it was so cute, right? And again, I don't have to say no. You know, you know, you can't afford a tattoo and I'm not paying for that. Or yeah, honey, I'll pay for that tattoo. I just really loved it that she asked. Oh, good for you for asking because that's something she really desires, right? It's like, I'm so glad you asked. And maybe, I, yeah, there is a maybe. I'll have to sit with it, find out how much it is. And then I'll see what I would like to offer toward that. Now, I will not pay for that whole tattoo because I want her to have some skin in the game too. But of course, I'll have something to offer toward that because that's her dream. And she brought it to me. That's her vision. She brought it to me. So it's not about me. What's about me is that she made a request. Now, I have to go in and then I have to maybe feel selfish if I say, oh, I'll only give you $10 and it's 400 I don't have to feel selfish, abandoning, and rejecting. But if I give her 400, then I'm going to feel resentful because I gave her something and went without myself. So it's all about how I treat myself. Do I treat myself as you know worthy, as loving, as valuable? And then I can take all my daughter's desires and I say, bring them all to me. I tell her, bring me, bring me everything you want. And then I'll let you know what I can offer. But don't stop your desires. She's in Japan right now because she had a big desire to move there and go to school. That's amazing. Yeah. So do you ever say no? I don't have to say no because, again, I always have something to offer, as I say, you know, because any request that comes in, I have something. Like, again, I'll give my favorite story. I tell she wanted a $38,000 forerunner. Of course she did. We live in Boulder, Colorado, <laughs> and, you know, and all our friends are driving one. This when she was 16. And again, instead of going, you know, you know, we can't afford a forerunner. And wow, how dare you ask? Or, okay, how about you want? And I'll drive a beater car, you know, because I'll let you to fit in with all your friends. I said, honey, you do. What color do you want? Red. Oh, my God. You want to make a vision board? You want to go drive one? That is so cool that you want that beautiful car and I'm willing to offer you $3,000 toward a car because that's what I planned on giving her she goes really yeah I'm actually willing to offer you that so she goes and she looks and she sees them and we go and look at the dealer and she comes back to me about three months later she goes mom you know what I think I'm really okay sharing a car and she never even asked me for the $3,000, you know, because it was like that I did have something to offer, but $3,000 and $38,000 is not very much. But she was so grateful that I had something to offer toward her dream that then she went and looked and all. And she's like, you know, actually, I'm okay 
she didn't buy a car till she's 21 and I gave her the $3,000 and, but she never asked for it. She never means to pay. And we shared a car from 16 to 21. So how do you handle it? If as, <laughs> as a mom, as a human, I really disagree with something. I really don't like it. I don't like the idea of it. And yeah. your child really has that desire. What do yeah. you how do you come to a place where you can both agree? Well, it, it's not even about both agreeing. First is that you can be okay with, you know, okay, I have a different preference. Like I, I would, don't want you to go to that party. I've heard parties are horrible and I don't want you to do that. Or, you know, I don't want you to eat that candy if it's little kids or whatever. You can still have yours. And and then in our stage two process, we go in and we say, well, of course you don't want your kid to eat candy because of course you think it's going to, rock their teeth and of course you want to be a good mother and give them good food and you know you this party is going yeah yeah you hear me because that's what you want your kid to say i'd be happy not to eat candy mom I just know, give me just celery it's me. fine yes. <laughs> <laughs> right not gonna happen so we can give it to ourselves and say, well, of course and then we go and the reality is you got a kid that loves candy that's the reality your kid wants candy right now okay so that's true you don't have to take that way you say to them. You can say, well, of course you want candy. Oh, my God, candy tastes so good. And I'm willing to offer you a piece of celery or whatever. I'm willing to offer you this and this and this because you have something to offer. They may go, I don't want it. I just want candy. Of course you do. I know you can still want that, but you're coming to me. So I'm telling you what I can offer. But then if you feel bad or you get mad at them for having a reaction or then you feel selfish because you didn't give it to them, that's all internal. So if you get so clear inside yourself that you know what you're willing to offer, because moms are into healthy food. Children are not into healthy food. (laughs) (laughs) They have a high value on sweets and good stuff here. We have a high value on health. So if you take responsibility for yours, why do you have to poo-poo theirs by saying, how dare you want sugar? Nick, sugar's bad for you, and it rats your teeth. And it's just like, we're trying to get them to agree with us. Why do you need them to agree with you? Why can't they just want sugar? I mean, it's like, well, of course you do. And I think something you said, you didn't say this exactly, but what I'm hearing is you say, give them some options that are all acceptable to you. So you can have celery or you can have a piece of candy after not, dinner. Not, but I'm going to stop you for a second. Yeah. Not, you can have, because then you're going, you can oh. have that. I'm willing. This is what I'm willing to offer you. Oh, I love that. I think language is so important. So, so I am going amazing. to use that. Oh, so you say, I'm willing to offer you. And they're like, well, I want that. And then you get mad. And you just go, I know you want candy. I get it. But I'm not offering candy. So if you want to figure out a way to get candy, I made sure my daughter could get candy by making money and by being able to do it if that's really her dream, right? I'm willing to offer you a way to make some money. And then maybe next time you go out, you can get some candy. But the minute we make candy bad, because it's not our preference, we make our children bad for wanting it. I love that. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That makes so much sense to me. Right? I but love why, it. why do you need to take away their desires or their dreams? You just, if they ask you, can we give them candy? You say, oh God, of course you want me to. I get it. And this is what I'm offering. Yeah. And if you really push 
your agenda onto your children, you're probably going to create some rebelliousness from them at some point in their life, which most parents probably do not want. And that's that a golf when I said, if you push or pull or force, my daughter, through her teen years, we didn't have any rebellion because I, she taught me not to push or pull or force because it never turned out well. <laughs> I started learning how to enter my daughter's heart and her world. So I want everybody here to know, you do know when your children are cooperative. You do know your children's high values. You do know when your children are able to do stuff or not. What you forget is you you forget that heart connection and you get into your brain that says, I need to raise my children to be responsible. And then you get into this whole, you lose your wisdom. You lose your connection with your child, with the heart of your child. So I decided, again, I wanted my daughter to know her, not me. It's not easy because knowing her is different than me, right? I wanted her to follow her dreams, not mine. I wanted her to be able to say no. Not to me, though. <laughs> I wrote a blog post once that says, I'm raising a girl to say no, just not to me. <laughs> right? So all these things to actually create an environment where a child knows themselves, where a child can say no, where a child can set healthy boundaries, where a child can feel their feelings, all these things we hear in conscious parenting. It is so incredibly hard as a mama, because you have to work with everything that comes up for you when your kid says no. You have to come up with everything that comes up for you when your kid screams and yells and gets mad and calls you a meanie. And this, that. It, you have to turn your focus internal instead of trying to control their behavior so you don't feel the internal experience. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You just made me think of when my kids were young and my older daughter for the very first time, I mean, she was probably three. I don't even know. She was young and she was like, I hate you. And it was just like a knife to the heart. I was like, oh my gosh, she hates me. (laughs) And I always like still parents, you know, they can't love you without hating you. So they said, I love you. I hate you is the other side. We were talking about the two sides, right? So if you buy into either one of them, oh, you love me. (laughs) You make it all about you. (laughs) Then you'll take the hate. It's all about you. They're really telling you about their internal experience. Mm. When they say, I love you, they're saying, I feel so good inside. And when they say, I hate you, they're saying, I am so struggling inside. And I want you to help me, mama. I want you to take this from me. Right? Because I don't know how to deal with all of this intensity inside that's not comfortable. I'm not happy. I love that reframe. I really, it's so beautiful. And I I couldn't even tell you the last time I got, and I hate you from either of my yeah. children. I get, I love you multiple times a day. So I I am very happy about that. But I, I like the way that you phrased that for maybe parents that are struggling. Yeah. So in that way, you can welcome, I hate you, because that means they're actually sharing with you their internal experience. And if you don't personalize it, you have an opportunity to say, well, tell me more, you know, what's going on inside? Cause they don't say I hate you for just any reason. It's usually cause they're so uncomfortable inside. And of course I blame it on you. Cause when they're young, it's black and white. Right. And they think it's you. Cause we train them to believe it's us. If we don't train them to believe it's us by supporting them, as I said, instead of giving them permission, we're, we're, we're very big on giving permission for them to be who they are, do what they want. I didn't ever get permission 
I was always supporting. I was asking, I'll give you another example. When my daughter was more, you know, in middle school, she would come and say, mom, can I go to the mall? And I go, well, I don't know. What do you plan on doing? Oh, I'm going to meet my friends. That's not nice. Or do you feel safe going? Because it was her first time to go by herself. I said, do you feel safe? She said, oh yeah, I feel safe. And I said, well, why do you feel safe? Because I'm not going to be there. So what do you know about these friends? And she told me, and I said, well, if you don't feel safe, what would you do? Oh, I'd get an Uber, you know, like you would. She goes, oh yeah, I got an Uber app on my phone. I'm like, <laughs> right again, like you say, oh my God, you're so smart. But I would never would have known that. And then she, you know, and I said, how do you know when you don't feel good? She said, I feel it in my stomach. Oh, okay, that's good. So I really wanted, my questions for her were always reflective questions for her to know herself. Instead of giving her permission, I could have said, just, no, you can't go because you're too young. Nope. That's not okay. But I wanted her to come to her yes or her no of whether it really felt good to her inside. Because she clearly had a readiness because she came and asked me if she could go. So there was some readiness, but I didn't want it to be black or white for her either. I wanted her to find out what was her body telling her, what was her being, was she really ready for this? So that's how I mean I support versus going, nope, can't do that. You're too young. I so am learning always, so much from you right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you think this is about amazing. Anytime your kid comes to you, you think they're coming to you with a readiness. Like if your daughter comes, you have a, what, 13, did you say, year old? Uh, one is 15 and one is 11. Oh, well, 15 is perfect because she's going to be asking you, you know, can I go to the sleepover? Or can I go to this party? Right. And so if you don't think, no, you're too young or no, you can't do that. That would be all about you. You always want to go back and say, well, tell me more. Tell me about the party. And what, well, what do you know? Do you think there'll be boys there? Or, you know, well, what did the cops get? I mean, you just work it through with her, right, to see. So then she finally can go, yeah, actually, I think I want to stay home, you know, or I think I'm really ready to take that risk. And it's so powerful. I asked my daughter once, I was like, how is it to have this? She goes, mom, it's really good. And it's really intense because I have to go inside and find my answers. I have to go inside and work hard. And so I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want you to know. Yeah. And this just seems like such a more joyful way to approach parenting, because I know in the past, if I've said no, I don't feel good about that. Whether even if I truly believe I don't want them to do the thing, yeah. I it never feels good to me. And this just yeah. seems like such a win-win for everybody. Because yeah. when you say no, it's about your readiness. Yeah. And this isn't your life. This isn't about you. So you really want to helpfully separate out and say, well, I, I don't want you to go. I'm clear about that. But tell me, why do you want to go? Why do you think you're ready to do this? Because I want, I wanted my daughter to come and tell me so we could go through that. You know, mm. well, why do you think you're ready? I'm not. And then I had this mom that was, was cute. The one I told you about when your daughter, her daughter wanted to walk down to the Boulder mall, which is pretty safe, but still, you know, it's from their house, walk down. And the mom asked all the questions finally. And the daughter's, you know, like, I'm really ready. And I'm going to go with my friends. And that's the other. And the mom's like, okay. And I'm going to drive my car next to you the whole way. <laughs> so mom <laughs> did that for her, right? That was for mom. Because mom was like, okay, I hear you're ready, but I'm not. But this is what I'm willing to offer. I will, you know, because I know you're really ready. I know you figured this out. You've worked it. You're going to your friends. And I'm going to be driving my car next to you. Right? So it worked out beautiful. That was one of those win-wins. It's like, okay, because the daughter got to do it. And mom also 
got to feel her, you know, what she needed. One of the things that you were saying earlier was that it's really not about you raising your children and it's really about creating the environment in which those small humans can become their own and and thrive in in this world. So did you always have that or was it not until you adopted your daughter? Like how did you get to that place? Well, I have my family template, of course, and I live in a culture that says we're raising our children. And I bought into the whole thing thinking it was all about me and I had to, you know, be the perfect mother. But for that, I needed my daughter to be a reflection that I was doing good. (laughs) Right. So I needed her to say yes. And I needed her to comply and I needed her to cooperate. And then when she started not, it was so shocking (laughs) for me because I had done all this personal work and spiritual work. And I thought, this is going to be a breeze. I was 45 when I got her, right? She's 40 when I was 44, but we picked her up at 45. I thought, I got this. And I was just so shocked when she said no. (laughs) (laughs) She refused and she hid my keys and she wouldn't do what I asked her to do. It was like, ah. And so I got so clear that I could either go back to my parenting template, which is power over in fear. And that was very tempting. (laughs) But my daughter just did not go for it. She didn't take to that. She would be look at me and like, eh, whatever, and walk out of the room. I mean, it was just like maddening. I tried time out. I tried fixing her. I tried changing her. I tried pleasing. I tried play. I tried every strategy in the book to get this kid to be who I wanted her to be so I could feel like a good mom. And when that all failed, I finally went, you know, wait a minute. She's great. She's just doing what she's doing. All of that disturbance that I'm feeling and that fantasy and that vision of how it's supposed to look, that's all inside of me. And I'm projecting it out onto my daughter like she's the screen and I keep trying to change the screen. And the screen, you can't do that in a movie. If you don't like a movie, you can't go up to the screen and start making the screen different. You have to go back inside and you have to look. So I began to question my template. I began to question the conditioning. Like, why does my daughter have to take the bath every night? She hated baths. She was traumatized in China. She had two cold baths a night. You know, why did she have to take a bath every night when it was a traumatic event? Okay, so she didn't. Why did she have to not sleep in her clothes, right? Because she didn't like morning time getting clothes ready. So why did she have to sleep in pajamas? Why couldn't she sleep in her clothes? So I just started asking myself all these questions because it was me and my daughter. It wasn't all children. Why do we have to sit at the dinner table? You know, because it was really hell for her, right? And it was hell for me too. I'm a single mom. I don't like to cook. Why was I trying to create this whole fantasy versus living in the reality of who we are and what opened both of us up to happiness and meeting both our needs? So I just, fortunately, I it was just me and my daughter. I didn't have somebody that was like challenging me. And so I started working with the at-risk teens also in their families. So I kept to be in great laboratories where I started to recognize that the template and the conditioning, They, I mean, look at our world. If they were really working, wouldn't we have children that aren't committing suicide and shooting people up? I mean, really, let's, let's admit that our conditioning, our template does not work. So when I got clear on that, I didn't have to beat myself up. It's not my fault. And I didn't have to say I'm bad. But I did have to go in and say, I have to question and examine everything that creates this barrier between my heart and my daughter's. And that, those barriers were like, well, she needs to learn this and she needs to do this. And I need to do that. And it's like, 
why don't we just throw them all out and start questioning? Well, wait a minute. What's it the deepest desire we all have is to be happy. Yeah. And parents tell me that all the time. All I want is for my kid to be happy. It's like, no, you don't. If you want your <laughs> kid to be happy, give them a bag of candy and watch them go. Put them on the computer. No, you don't. You want them happiness as you want them to do what you think is going to make you happy. Right? And if they do give you that reflection, then you'll say, oh, yeah, I'm happy. And my kid are happy. And that means children have to subordinate who they are to make us happy. So I decided just to be happy myself. I decided to do my own thing and love what I do. And my daughter does not get good food meals. You know, she didn't get tons of vacations because I work all the time. I love what I do. But she gets to wake up every morning and see a mom doing this, talking to people and doing a training and coaching. And she, she gets to see a happy mom. So that's what I decided to offer her. That's so <laughs> beautiful. And I guess my, my last question is for my, I have a lot of listeners that have toddlers, they're, they have young ones, right? Yes. When they start acting up, throwing a temper tantrum, not listening to you, whatever the case may be, you can feel yourself starting to get triggered and your blood pressure going up. How can you as a parent regulate yourself in that moment? Like, do you have like a, something to snap you out of it? Do you just stop and well, take a deep wait, breath? Well, it's a practice okay? because you practiced your whole life running away from those big feelings that are coming up. So then when you think your kid caused them, you want to control your child, right? Cause you weren't, did ever, anybody ever sit down with you and teach you how to be effectively selfish and talk to you about your feeling, be with you when you were having an anger attack or whatever. No, you were told you were timed out. You were told you were bad. You were told you were wrong. So when those big feelings start to rise, that's why I created the safe seat. And I'm going to give you an example really quick today because this is my favorite one to tell. The reason I created a safe seat was I was watching my daughter playing tag one day. And she was new at tag. And I was watching all the four-year-olds. You know, the first time they play, they're so excited. They're running around the field. And they're like, ah! This is so much fun until they're about to get tagged. And then what happens when they're about to get tagged? They freak out, right? And some of them will lay down on the ground and go, I'm sick, I'm sick. And some of them run off the field and scream to their mamas. And another one will hit the tagger. I mean, they, they do anything because they've gone back into their amygdala, which is their primal brain, right? And so the primal brain is going danger, danger, danger. So in the game of tag, we create a safe base. Right. So we teach the children, say, when you're about to get tagged, you can run over to the safe base and you can hold onto the tree and you can take a few deep breaths and then you'll look out and go, oh, all the fun's out there. And you'll run back out again. So you'll do that over and over and over and over and over until eventually you want to be the tagger. Right. Well, I recognize in my parenting, I was getting emotionally tagged 10, 20 times a day, but nobody told me there was a safe base I could go to. So I was screaming at my daughter. I was running out of the room going, forget it. I, I, I was doing all those things that a little kid does, right? I was going, I don't want to even do this. That was me saying I'm sick, you know, whatever. I was spewing at her. I was attacking her. So I was like, well, what if I created a safe base and told myself, Leslie, you're going to have a great day today, but you're going to get tagged. This is going to be a game. It's going to be fun. Parenting's fun until you're tagged. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're emotionally tagged, you get to go over to the safe base. You don't, you don't hit the tagger. You don't run off the field. You don't do all those things, but you do get to go to the safe base. 
So I started training myself. I, first of all, I have a course called Parenting Pause where you, we take you through to recognize your triggers. So there's in a trigger, there's thoughts, there's feelings, there's sensations, and then there's your behavior. So once you start to know your emotional triggers, then as soon as you feel the sensation, I have like a, a rush that comes up of heat. I head to my safe base, right? And my safe seat is on my couch. I tell people you want it in the middle of the action. You don't, this isn't a meditation seat. This is, a, you want to stay in the game, right? So instead of controlling my daughter's behavior, unless it was dangerous, I would like practice one out of 10 times going to my safe base. Now, when you get to the safe seat, then you're going to hear this part going, she needs to listen to me because you're going to hear the one in you that says, you know, and you just offer kindness. You say, oh, honey, of course you want her to listen to you. Of course you want her to pay attention. Oh, honey, of course. So now I'm giving myself everything I want from her. I'm giving it to myself at the base. So now I'm regulating. I'm holding onto the tree, basically, and I'm regulating. And then when I look back out, when I get back to my adult, I'm like, oh, she's just caught up in her Legos or she's four years old and she doesn't have the capacity to take care of me. I look at reality just like when the kid looks back out and I go, I'm going to enter back into the game, but I'm going to enter back in now from my adult capacities. And that mean, mean I have to get down on the floor and say, oh, sweetheart, you're having so much fun with your Legos. And of course, you don't want to go. Of course, you want to play. I get it. And the reality is we got to get out of the house. So how can we clean this up? Or what can we do now? And we'll come back. But we're, we're leaving. Mm, that's so, so important. Yeah. So, you know, know that when you get emotionally tagged, you're going to your amygdala. You do not have a lot of conscious control, just like the kids. But if someone told you ahead of time that that is going to happen and there is an option, you can go to your safe base. It just becomes part of the rules of the game, the rules of parenting. And no one ever told me that there was a safe base that I could go to where I could be attended to. I love the that metaphor because I, I think we can all relate to playing tag and having mm-hmm. the safe space. And so as a parent, yeah, I just... That makes so much sense to me. And I I really, really love that. And I think that it will come in really helpful for any parent, but especially those that have little ones where it's so easy to let them kind of control how you're feeling. So I love that yeah. so much. Yeah, because that's giving them all the power. And we want to take our empowerment back, right? So on my website, if they go to purejoyparenting.com, there is a five-day free safe seat video series. And they can download that for free and it'll walk you through how to set one up, what it's about, teach you how to talk to yourself. And it's a practice that I tell people because people do the safe seat and then they forget it and they're right back. It's like moving your trash can. You know, you move your trash can, you got to consciously go there because your hand is always just going to go back to the old one. I will link everything in the show notes for where people can find you. You just said your website, but where can they find you on Instagram? Same thing, Pure Joy Parenting on Instagram. All right. And Facebook. Yeah. All right. And I'm getting ready to do a Pure Joy Parent Coach training, a new one soon, the beginning of the year. And those are my very favorite things to do because they're eight months and they're personal as well as professional training. So you end up learning to be a parent coach, but... They're deep dives, very small and very intimate. 
Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, before (laughs) I let you go, Leslie, this has been so amazing, but I would like to ask you five rapid fire questions and it doesn't (laughs) mean you have to answer quickly. Just (laughs) the first thing that comes to your mind. And it's just a way for my listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Yay. All right. What is your favorite birthday or holiday memory? Either yours or someone else's. Mm. My favorite birthday memory was when my dad, I was probably five or six years old and I played piano and my dad um, bought me this beautiful glass blown piano, baby grand piano. Oh, that sounds beautiful. (laughs) Do you still have it? No, that's another sad story. My brother, my big older brother sat on it. (laughs) (gasps) Oh no. (laughs) Now I can laugh, but back then I was like, it's hard with, and I go through that now, even with my daughters, because you attach a feeling to a thing. And so then when that thing isn't there anymore, it's really difficult to still be able to convince yourself that you can hang on to the memory without having (laughs) the thing. That's so great. Yes. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word play? Interviews. (laughs) (laughs) what is something you do for fun work (laughs) (laughs) but I don't delineate fun from work because my work is so much fun it's like my life so at this point in my life they've kind of melded together like I said I went to Lithuania that was really fun but it was for work so they kind of um, go in together for me now. Yeah, I get separate. that. It's it's a little different <laughs> when you work for yourself versus when you're working yes. for someone else and you do need sort Absolutely. of that escape. Absolutely, yes. What is something you are excited about right now? I'm most excited about my training, which I talked about, because I get to mentor and support new coaches and get this work out into the world. So I love like I was in training yesterday and I just get so excited. Yeah. And this work is so needed what you are doing. I mean, I know that this interview with you has just changed me and the way I look at things and I can't wait to go back and listen to it again. (laughs) All right. Last question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Knowing what I know now, I would, you know, I don't think I would give her any advice. I mean, personally, because I think everything that she went through and where she what she lived has brought me to this point now. So I think I, more than advice, I would just witness and offer her the deepest, deepest uh, kindness and support to stay in her heart. Mm, that's so beautiful. I love that mm-hmm. so much. Well, thank you so much for being here. I have loved this conversation and you were such a delight to have on the show today. And I know my <laughs> listeners are going to love this one. Thank you. I am so happy, happy, happy to be here. Thank Thank you for inviting me to come share. I don't know about you, but I definitely learned a few things in that hour. I can't wait to put some of this advice into practice. While I pretty much feel that this entire episode was a huge takeaway, here are just five of the key takeaways from this episode. Number one, make space to listen to both your head and your heart. There is room for both, and it isn't about negating either one. When you listen to both, they can start to have a conversation. That said, typically your heart will be the first to speak because that's where desire lives. Number two, when it comes to their desires, your kids are looking for support, not for permission. 
by giving or withholding permission for them to do something, you are making the decision about whether you are or are not ready for it. Invite them to tell you more so that you can reflect their desires back to them. Number three, you aren't broken, so there is nothing to fix. However, you can start to become aware of the impact your childhood has had on how you parent your own children. Take a look at what you're running from within your own childhood so that you can resolve it. If you can, look at the benefits of situations from when you were younger so that you can reframe what that experience means to you. Number four, have a healthy separation with your children. Know the difference between your childhood and their childhood and try not to make their childhood mean something about you. If there is something you didn't have when you were a kid, you get to give yourself what you need now. Giving that thing to your child doesn't replace your own needs. Don't try to parent yourself through your children. Number five, having boundaries with your children isn't about control. It's about determining what is okay with you and what is not okay with you about how you treat yourself. You will never have to say no to your child if you can offer something. Find what you are okay with through conversation with them, and you won't put yourself in the position to have to say no because you'll be offering what you are okay with. Thanks so much to Leslie for sharing your wisdom with us. If you'd like to work with Leslie or learn more about her, all of her information is in the show notes. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would give it a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Have a magical day. This podcast episode is brought to you by Prompts to Purpose, my free workbook that will help you stop spinning your wheels and start remembering your gifts. Inside, you'll find 25 journal prompts to get you thinking about things in a new way so that you can find your purpose and start living the life of your dreams. If you're ready to dive in, get on my email list by clicking on the link in the show notes or in my Instagram bio, and I'll send it over. Come on in and see what everyone is talking about. 